Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Sunday, September 20th, 2020. Drew, you've been asking, what, two weeks, three weeks, looking for news about Harley Quinn, whether or not we're going to get a third season, and just this past Friday, we finally got word... Yeah, there's nothing like, you You love the old dropping news on a Friday afternoon routine, don't yeah. you, Jim? It, it's also yeah. weird that we've had two fandom events, mm. and yep. neither one had this announcement. But uh, yeah, it's it's coming back, thank God. Yeah, but in this kind of mixed bag news, Harley Quinn's the first two seasons ran on a DC Universe. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the, the news here is season three of Harley Quinn is going to HBO Max, while DC Universe gets rebooted, rebranded as DC Universe Infinite. Only now it's a comic book subscription service? Yeah, so it seems like all of the TV shows that were on DC Universe are just HBO Max now, right? Is that what you got out of it? So t- Titans yeah. and all those things, yeah. Yeah, because supposedly they're stepping away from doing original scripted series. DC Universe Infinite relaunches in four months on January 21st, 2021. For $7.99 a month or $74.99 a year, access to 24,000 comic books, digital first comics, exclusive access to DC fan events, but wasn't fandom free? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, never mind. And then recently released comic books six months after the physical versions hit store shelves. And the long range plan is this is the domestic relaunch. And then in the summer of 2021, DC Universe Infinite gets launched globally. So I'm happy I get my third season of Harley Quinn. Yeah. And that it's in the same place where I can sit down and watch Looney Tunes also makes me happy. But as long as we're talking subscription streaming service stuff, do you want to talk about what you found buried in the the fall schedule for Disney Plus? Yeah, there is this talk of a new documentary series called Inside Pixar, which is set at the studio. And why I thought it was interesting and why I brought it up with you was that Mm -hmm. there's also been this talk of Soul going directly to Disney+. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if Inside Pixar, given that it's documenting the studio and that it's documenting a film directed by... That Pete Docter now runs the studio and that he's also Mm -hmm. doing this movie called Soul, is if the release of Soul and this documentary are somehow kind of linked in some way. Do you think there's some credence to that, Jim? Frozen 2 was released in theaters in November of last year. We got Into the Unknown, making of Frozen 2 showed up on Disney+. Plus. That was June, wasn't it? Yeah. June, July? Yeah. Great series, and if this Inside Pixar is anything like that, I'm immediately on board. Right. But if it had the original thing had held... Soul is going to be in theaters June 20th. It's 120 days, typically, between uh, when a theatrical release and Blu-ray, or is it 90? I mean, I th- it's it's gotten down to like 60 recently. But yeah, I mean, I think Disney probably still holds to that 90-day run. Okay. Yeah. So realistically, if it had opened on June 20th, we'd probably have a Blu-ray DVD out already. Yeah. It just feels like, was this where when this series was actually supposed to drop? 
after the original theatrical rather than we have a November 25th release date for Soul, which that's now the release date for Crude's uh Crude's a new uh what is the the subtitle a new a new age Jim a Crude's new age. a new age yes. yes yeah yeah by the way last show I said that I thought Chris Sanders was still involved with this film that I, I thought he was co-directing and you were like I do not think that is correct Jim <laughs> and want to point out Mr. Taylor was in fact correct Crudes 2 is actually being directed by Joel Crawford. So yeah. my apologies to both Chris and Joel. <laughs> Chris, by the way, this year had directed Call of the Wild, which Pixar's Onward is the 11th highest grossing film for the year with $61 million. And the film that's directly ahead of it is uh, Chris Sanders' Call of the Wild with $62 million. Did you ever watch that, Jim? No, no. I've been working my list. I watched all eight episodes of Camp Cretaceous. <laughs> how, how was it, Jim? It's strange. It is a bloodless version of Jurassic World. In fact, it happens before, in the middle of, and after the first Jurassic World movie. These five kids, six kids have won a contest, and they're the, the first people to go to Camp Cretaceous, which is this teen thing on the other side of the island and the idea is that at full build out 500 kids at a time are going to be in this thing and they're going to be doing special activities all over the place and of course and then something goes horribly wrong and if you've seen jurassic world you know what went horribly wrong right the indominus rex comes on the stage in like episode four and chases these kids across the park before he then, <laughs> wait a minute, I <laughs> I gotta go eat Bryce Howard and Chris Pratt. I'm so sorry. We're off to get another dinosaur in here. Hang on. Because <laughs> it's a kid show. It's a lot of very bloodless, oh, that guy got eaten in a bush that <laughs> you didn't see. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, it's decent animation and I get especially with Jurassic World Dominion supposedly arriving in theaters next year, plus the new coaster and the rebranding of Jurassic Park at Islands of Adventure. I mean, I get why they're doing it. I just, it so obviously sets up comeback for series two. Will you be coming back for series two, Jim? My problem is I, I was a 10-year-old boy 51 years ago. I'm not the target audience for this thing. Right. Still love me some dinosaurs, but it's just sort of like, all right, you know, and it, it's also a lot of lessons of friendship and working together. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, can we get back to the dinosaurs now? Um, <laughs> speaking of which, though, okay, so we were just talking about Soul, which supposedly Crude's a new age is going to go head to head with. Drew, we had a story in Variety just this week about is Disney going to blink in regard to Soul? What are you hearing or, or what? I mean, I, I've heard that it's it's a constant discussion, but, you know, I wrote a piece for Collider this week about why it makes sense um, mm -hmm. or, or doesn't make sense. But, I mean, mm -hmm. this is not going to be a billion-dollar grossing movie, so it's I don't think it's a huge priority for the company in that way. It's a way to goose Disney Plus subscribers, maybe if they mm -hmm. aren't coming back for Mandalorian Season 2. And mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to see Black Widow get bumped. I think, you know, I don't know if Bond is going to stay put, because that's the other big movie coming out in that cluster at the end of November. Yeah, it doesn't look good. But we, as we were talking about before the show, there's an investors meeting on October mm -hmm. 7th. 
And I think that's where they're probably going to announce it. Also, it seems like Mulan has made a lot of money. So I think that that kind of bolsters their thing of maybe doing one of those premium debuts. And then, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens okay. after that. But Earlier this week, the story was about the $23 million debut in China and how that was perceived as a disappointment. Because supposedly Disney had worked so hard to tailor this film for the Chinese market. And, you know, again, this was supposed to be another one of the company's billion dollar earners, but nothing's making a billion dollars. No. You know, today no. in, in, in this market. I'm sure that Mulan has made more money on Disney Plus than mm. Tenet has made in theaters. So I think that that is something that, you know, I think that's something that really needs to be considered because there was that piece in, in IndieWire earlier mm. this week about how. All these movie theaters opened for Tenant, and then mm. they weren't even covering the costs of keeping staff in the building, you know? <laughs> so I think that that's a real consideration. And, and you know, we we know that Universal can instantly mm-hmm. blink and put crudes on VOD, just like they did yep. with Trolls. But there's more t- uh, DreamWorks news, too. Did you there see is, that? There is. Yes. Uh, okay. So... Chris Sanders may not be directing Crudes 2, but Tom McGrath is coming back to direct the Boss Baby sequel, uh, Boss Baby 2 Family Business, which is supposed to arrive in theaters March 26, 2021. And our favorite, Gennady, uh, well, do you want to talk about what's going on with Hotel Transylvania 2? It's coming back. I mean, there's a fourth Mm. Hotel Transylvania. Did you see that the release date is now August of next year? Do you remember when this thing was pegged as a Christmas movie? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's August 6, 2021. But they just announced the new directors like yes. five minutes ago, right? Yeah, their new directors, Derek Dryman and Jennifer <laughs> Kluska, who both have amazing credits. I think that they've both been like heads of story on a bunch of movies. And I think she was head of story on the last two uh, mm-hmm. Hotel Transylvanias. And Gindy is coming back to uh, to write it, which is interesting. I didn't think he was going to be that involved, but he wrote the screenplay and he's executive producing. So it seems like it's in good hands. Are you ready for another to check into Hotel Transylvania again, Jim? I love Mr. Tartakovsky. I, I really enjoyed the first one. I think the third one was stronger than the second one. But it's one of these Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox situations. It's like... I get that's the business model now that, you know, just you you have a hit and you immediately think franchise, but some things can't necessarily support a franchise. So if Kennedy's involved, then especially, you remember the stories about the third one where he was on a family vacation and they were cruising and he had supposedly officially put Hotel Transylvania in the, the rearview mirror at that point, but... These things kept happening on his family vacation. He kept thinking, this would be a great setting for a Hotel Transylvania movie. Yes. I have to wonder what sort of family-related trauma (laughs) Kennedy has recently had. I hope they squeezed in some Mel Brooks recording sessions, too, because uh, I don't think he's long for this earth. You know, his BFF is gone, and now, you know, he's he's getting up there. But he's hilarious as uh, Dracula's father. So I I hope that, Yeah. yeah. In fact, I guess we should talk about Forky asks a question because it, it did just get an Emmy, right? Yeah, it did. I think it was um, outstanding short form series mm-hmm. or something. Which, yeah, the Mel Brooks episode is pretty funny on mm-hmm. that one. That show is just great. I hope it. I hope it comes back. But 
Okay, well, speaking of Kennedy, season two of Primal, which you just pointed out, a brand new trailer has dropped, and thanks, Drew. I really needed that nightmare fuel. <laughs> well, did you see that it, it's also won, like, three or four Emmys already? Also a good thing? Yes, yes. Great design? Yeah, it looks pretty intense. Pretty intense, yeah. That one uh, comes back on Adult Swim October 4th at 1130. And while we've got you at your calendars there, October 23rd, Netflix, Over the Moon, our Glenn Keane, John Kerr's project. Can't wait to see that. And then, did you see the Animaniacs thing that dropped for Hulu? The yeah. The tease for the show? I was a little concerned because it's like, you don't have a trailer ready yet, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is coming pretty soon. But yeah, I mean, it looked like everyone is back and mm-hmm. they all have longer hair, some of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it looks it looks very very fun. I'm I'm excited about it. Same thing here. And the couple of jokes that dropped that they included as part of it's like, oh, okay, good. All right, they're kind of acknowledging where they were in the culture and that they've been away a while. And as long as we're talking about Warner's Television Animation, this month is the 25th anniversary of the debut of Freakazoid on the WB, right? Yes. I think it's a beloved show for some of some freaks like us. Um, yeah, and I can't wait to talk, talk about where it came from. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we get back, we'll do some talking about Freakazoid. Before we get to talking about the show that followed Animaniacs, we've got... A show now, a new animated series for Netflix that actually comes on the heel of an animated episode of the reboot of One Day at a Time. Yes. Uh, Did you see? Okay. So evidently, Norman Lear, the gentleman behind the original One Day at a Time, enjoyed this experience. And there's a lot of people who came together on this uh, thing, which is a a revival of the uh, sitcom Good Times. I and mean, we, we've got Seth MacFarlane involved and, and the NBA star Steve Curry. That's an interesting bunch. Yeah. I mean, did it surprise you that it wasn't Jimmy Kimmel who's doing this, given he's been sort of spearheading those Norman Lear nights they've been doing on ABC? Yeah. But I guess this, this deal came together while Jimmy was at home. <laughs> In fact, Jimmy officially comes back to work tonight, right? He's doing the Zoom version of the Primetime Emmys. Yes, uh, see Zendaya in her living room, Jim. Won't yeah. that be glamorous? Yeah, I, yeah, I have uh, no idea how that's going to go. But I love Steph Curry mostly because he's an executive producer of my favorite show, Holy Moly. I don't mm-hmm. know if the Hill House is uh, has been watching this mini extreme mini golf competition. I've been a fan of Rob Riggles forever. I remember when he was Noel in Prep and Landing. Yes, yeah. I was a big fan of the show that really sort of started Holy Moly, Wipeout. Yeah. My goal, and I could never pull this off because they had built the Wipeout set at Golden Oaks up in Newhall, California, have that, that huge back lot with buildings and that sort of thing. And I've, I've been trying to get there forever, but is that, is that the one? Is it, well, I think they, they shoot Holy Moly in Santa Clarita. Uh, but but there's also a a studio complex up there because Mm -hmm. that's where they shot wrinkle in time Hmm. and i remember going to the set of wrinkle in time and thinking do i have enough time to go ride twisted colossus uh (laughs) (laughs) after this or what so uh yeah i mean 
it seems like a crazy endeavor. And I and I talked to the producer of Holy Moly this week, and I have a, a very firm commitment to go to, mm-hmm. to set sh- should they resume oh. filming. So, yeah. Okay. Remember, your good, close, personal assistant, Mr. Hill, who carries, you know, your bags and your beverages. <laughs> well, you'll appreciate this, Jim. Holy moly, shot, they shoot the entire season, 13 episodes, in seven days. Oh. And they do each course is like mm-hmm. one half of a night. So they do all of the hole number two, all of Double Dutch Courage, all in one go. And they start really? in, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Lunch is like at 1 a.m., and they do it. I mean, can you imagine how discombobulated your internal clock is after all this? But yeah, one one week, thirteen episodes, Jim. We need to be striving for that kind of, you know. Holy cow! <laughs> I mean, that would explain how punchy the announcers get after yes. a while. But also, God, that answers so many of my questions now. Because, like, you know that introductory hole where they hit the ball and then have to run by all those porta potties. Yes. And all like. All I can ever think is like, there's like seven of those in a row. And it's like every night, you know, every time they film, they go, all right, seven people, put in your costume, go sit in the porta bodies. But now it makes sense. Yeah, okay. it's, it's really crazy, but it's a lot of fun. I think it's, it's one of the more fun sort of like things we've had to watch this summer. Oh, no, 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 no doubt, no doubt. But, uh, but yeah, again, thank you. This answers so many questions. Because yes. you know, the flaming final hole, it's, it was always the effect of, God, how much propane do they go through? And it's like, no, it's just one night. We just used the one canister. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'll appreciate this. One of the holes they're talking about for next season, mm-hmm. triple Dutch courage in fuego. So three windmills oh. and one of them's on fire. So that, oh. that yeah. <laughs> oh, my Yeah. I realize the world has changed, but I just cannot imagine being a PA under, you know. (laughs) A PA, and I'm sure you're in one of the gopher costumes, too, at the same time. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Speaking of crazy stuff, you've got a very nice listener email, which kind of set us on to this feature. Yeah. Do you want to read that? Sure, yeah. So this was sent to the Light the Fuse account, which is always fun Mm -hmm. when we have some nice crossover there. Jim, Mm -hmm. and he said, hello, Drew. I wanted to drop a line to say how much I love all of your podcasts, most notably fine-tuning. So he thinks Light the Fuse sucks. So, you know. No, 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 no. He's (laughs) just saying that one of them is an A, and one might be an A+. Right, right. I'm just saying. Okay. So he said, in a prior episode, you mentioned Freakazoid, a cartoon that I adored even though I was in my early 20s. I feel that WB was on to something really special around 1995-1996, and then something happened. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, and maybe it could be touched on in a future episode. The WDB has had so many wonderful successes that deserve that attention. Thank you again for all the entertainment you provide, and I look forward to your reply. So here's your reply, Andrew. An entire episode about your question. Um, <laughs> and you and I have been fascinated about this period in Warner Brothers history and Amblin. It wasn't amblimation anymore, but it was largely steered by Mr. Spielberg mm-hmm. around the time. So, it yeah. was. It, it was. And it starts with Tiny Toons. And it was one of these things that was a little too close, a little too reverent. And for a first effort and a first collaboration with Spielberg, and again, he supposedly got this opportunity because of the success of uh, Roger Rabbit. And they had started off that relationship because he negotiated with Steve Ross, the, the head of Warner Bros. at the time, and got the rights to use 
each classic Looney Tunes character in Roger Rabbit for just $5,000 a character. Right. So this was kind of the payback. Tiny Toons did well, but then there was an Animaniacs, and that's Tom Rugger. The other thing you got to remember here, we have the Disney Afternoon, and that's making Buku Bucks. And so everybody else who has an animation department and you know wants to suddenly get into the syndication market. So we have Fox starts its Fox Kids block in the afternoon, and we get Batman the Animated Series, which for my money is still the best. Yes. Well, we should also talk about that that Fox was where a lot of the Disney Afternoon stuff was going at the time. That's right. That's and right. And that this was oh, a okay. huge area of contention because I believe at this point Bill Mechanic had taken over Fox, who was from Disney, and yeah. that he and Eisner had this huge blowout about it, right? And that the proliferation of this this Fox programming is what mm-hmm. killed Disney Afternoon, sort of prematurely killed the Disney Afternoon programming block. You should definitely circle back on this at some point for Collider, because remember there was that bizarre lawsuit where Fox was putting together an, uh, an afternoon syndicated show based on Peter Pan and Disney. Wait a minute, that's our character. And right. it just, broke. you know, it's like, well, technically, no, you're leasing it from the children's hospital, not your character. Right. But in the middle of this, Animaniacs gets created for Fox Kids block. But you have these giant corporations that are looking at this money stream. And this is when Warner Brothers decides, well, maybe we should have our own block. And that's when they create their own channel, the WB, and then create their own kids WB. And so Animaniacs gets launched in the middle of that. And I love Animaniacs. I love yes. you know the whole conceit of wacko, yakko, and dot living in the water tower on the Warner's lot. And it, it just... It had, you know, a wonderful anarchy to it. And when we get to Freakazoid, that's Bruce Tim, the guy who created Batman. Yeah. And when he originally pitched the series to Warner Brothers, it was like, it was really a straightforward superhero show with some comic elements, not a whole lot of comic elements. But here's Steven Spielberg. And Steven is seeing the success of, of Animaniacs, and he's, he really wants to go more in that direction. So Freakazoid really gets pushed from a funny Batman to an insane Batman. Can you talk about the first time you ever saw Freakazoid? Or, yeah, I mean, I, it, was, it must have been on the WB, but I mean, I remember being drawn to the character because this, the, the design is so good. Although, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to talk about how the design got them in trouble also, but um, it's that great Paul Dini yeah. look that you, you mm-hmm. notice immediately from Batman the Animated Series. But it really did have an interesting tonal, you know, mm-hmm. kind of... You know, I think that Bruce Timm and Paul Dini were not involved that much after Tom Ruger came on, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But you know, I remember I loved, you know, the relationship between Freakazoid and Ed Asner. Oh, Cosgrove. Cosgrove, yes, yes <laughs> yeah. How many episodes were, you know, Cosgrove would drive up to Freakazoid in the middle of, like, an epic battle on it? Hey, Freakazoid, want to go see our, <laughs> a bear riding a motorcycle? And it's like, <laughs> would I? And, you know, it, it, it just smash cut to the two of them, like, leaning on a fence. And, you know, and this, is, this bear with a clown hat on riding around in a motorcycle. And right. Cosgrove would just very casually, at that point, toss out a crucial piece of information that would move the plot forward. The fact that this was how that show was constructed, that 
it would keep making these hard lefts. And, and as an audience member, it's like, look, keep up. You either get this or you don't. And I think that also really, in a way, hurt the show. Because yeah. it was it was kind of a show that assumed that you'd seen a lot of animation. Well, it assumed you'd seen a lot of everything, Jim. Let's mm-hmm. not discount the fact that one of the main villains was voiced by Ricardo Montalban. So if you did yes. not have an encyclopedic yes. knowledge of his sort of career. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, I mean, but it, it was really something. I mean, it really was unlike anything else at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think that ultimately crippled the show was, hey, you, you just talked about Edward Asner and Ricardo Montalban. So this show was expensive going in. Yeah. I mean, the, the draftsmanship, too, is like, I think, uh, almost unparalleled in terms of that yeah. era of animation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as good as, as any of the best Disney stuff or <laughs> Batman the Animated Series, I think. I don't know how you feel. No, 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 no. Absolutely. It, it had a great look, a great production team backing it up. But it was also used to launch the kids WB, which kind of had trouble finding its footing. So we got our first season of the show debuts in 95. You got to understand also when it comes to animation, you start working on a show that's not going to hit the air. Cause you remember back in this age, these ages, you were sending things to Korea to get animated. You're at least 18 months out before you see an episode come back. And only then, you know, when you're well into writing season two and season one is is now on the air. What also hurt was the show that was put in development when Freakazoid was first launching. And that was Hysteria. Yeah, brother. See, I know from the noise you just made. (laughs) You actually watched Hysteria then. Oh, yeah. Because so many of us got sucked in thinking, oh, it's the people who did Animaniacs and Freakazoid who were doing a take on American history. And it's like, oh, I got to see this. This is going to be great. But it was also a show that Warner Brothers put into development because of, I guess there was an FCC ruling about there had to be so much educational television for children on per day. And Water Brothers thought, ooh, we can take advantage of this and stations around the country will grab it and we'll make tons of money. The very fact that it had to be educational, cut into the anarchy and chaos and humor, it was chocolate-covered brand, wasn't it, Drew? Yes, yeah. There were some ideas in the show that I loved. I mean, I loved that George Washington was done with the voice of Bob Hope. I mean, there were individually good ideas, but the show itself was terrible. Yeah. And it was wildly expensive, too. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. it went so over budget that they cut the number of shows that they produced, right? In 2000, after a huge publicity push, they just announced, okay, we're shutting it down. We're shutting down production and walked away from a, a, a number of shows that had been written and already boarded. I guess they were actually on the cusp of doing a third season of Freakazoid, but it did just, things had gotten so out of control financially at Warner's television animation. It's like, we're still rolling the dice on hysteria at this point, And we just, we can't afford to have two expensive shows in production at the same time. So that's what ended up happening. We, we just got our two and done of Freakazoid. And it was like Warner Brothers knew what it was doing and then suddenly it didn't. Yeah. You got these shows that 
just didn't work. And it's like, wait a minute, you just, you're the guys who did Batman the Animated Series and Animaniacs, you know, you were at the top of the game. What happened? They kept, well, they kept making spinoffs of Animaniacs because there were, there was Pinky and the Brain and then Pinky, uh, Elmira and the Brain. Do you remember that? There you go. Yes, yes. And let's not forget that it wasn't all that long ago in the mix over at Warner's was actually a theatrical Pinky and the Brain. They were, were going to do live action, but with little CG versions of, you know, the Brain and Pinky. Yeah. I wonder if Freakazoid, especially in the age of streaming, I think would have been a huge hit. But also even just in the Adult Swim, you know, marketplace, I feel like would have been great. But no, no, you're not wrong. I, in fact, I'm honestly surprised, given that we've gotten this Animaniacs revival and given that Paul Rugg is still with us. I mean, you and I were just talking about how much we enjoyed Earth to Ned. Are you, are you loving Earth to Ned, Jim? It's definitely growing on me. I'm a little concerned about whether or not we're going to get a season two just because of the cost. Once you put up the set and once you get all the puppeteers and that sort of thing in place and you arrange your two celebrity guests, in theory, it pretty much does itself. And in fact, going back to what you were just saying about Holy Moly, I wonder how many of those they tape a day. Yeah. You know, if you think about the number of people who are behind the scenes doing little, the little vicious creatures that infest the, the clods, ship. Just, Jim. <laughs> there we go, the clods. There's a lot of people involved in the production of that. Yeah, thing. did you and see Kevin Clash as one of the clods? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, nice to see Kevin. Look, yeah, Kevin working. He's working, yeah. Just to get back to Freakazoid, I would love to see them make another run at it, especially now that, you know, everyone who is going to be working on the Ren and Sippy revival are looking for work. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if it could come back, but your explanation of what happened to Warner Brothers television animation is just that it spent too much money, it spread itself too thin, and this is what happened. Well, I mean, think about it. You know, if you, if you seriously look at Freakazoid, it is in a weird sort of way. It's the child of Batman the Animated Series and Animaniacs. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's that Venn diagram. Um, and then, you know, just the fact that, you know, they had this going and then they got this FCC ruling about educational television and somebody made the decision that we can make a buttload of money if we make a run at that. They should have kept their eye on the ball. They should have kept their, you know, the, what they were doing well. But I, I think, as you pointed out, this is also during the same time that the Disney afternoon basically spun in, you know, the market changed. And, you know, in, in a weird sort of way, think about it, you know, the whole backstory of Dexter Douglas, you know, the whole notion of the reason that Freakazoid is, 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 is as crazy as he is, is he's downloaded the entire internet. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing, you know, that, that the show is actually talking about the thing that will, if we, we step forward a few years, you know, basically killed things like afternoon programming blocks for kids because they were already online. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, just, you know, looking for their own entertainment, which, you know, brings us to the world now. So it's not that people today waste time on the internet seeking out entertainment. I mean, you know, that there were 
relatively good podcast. Like Light the Fuse comes immediately to mind. Well, thank you, Jim. Uh, That's very kind of you. You know, we try. Mm-hmm. We try. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did did I hear correctly that you're kind of branching out a little bit? Is is that what's in the works now? Yeah, or? yeah. We this week we started recording Light the Wick, which will be the John Wick centered spinoff, which will be in in the main feed, so you don't have to. You don't have to subscribe to another podcast or anything. And we're going to go through the making of those three movies and how they relate to the Mission Impossible movies. And and everybody is super on board and it's really going to be fun. And, uh, you know, I just have to start training my dog to attack people the way that Halle Berry did with her dogs in the in the last movie. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Can't wait to hear those. Can't wait to hear the, the next uh, Light the Fuse. Uh, and let's see. On our side of the street, we got... Uh, Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with your goat, good close personal friend, Dan Z. We got Marvel Us Disney with Aaron Adams. What else we got? Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, which I just recorded. We got a brand new one coming. Do you talk about that weird robot dog, Jim? We do. Okay. We do. We talk about Latte. And did you see that Latte has a beverage already named after himself? Latte's Latte? No, I have not seen that. But it's just very weird because it looks like a military grade robot that they stapled a, it, a face onto. It is. It is. It's from Boston Dynamics. For me, as a diabetic, this is yet another reason to steer, say, miles away from from Toothsome's Emporium. Yeah, well, is, just, is Latte going to make the move over here? You know, I'm I'm waiting for the Toothsome's to to open up down the street for me, Jim. So that's right, that's right, and it, it's going into the old Hard Rock, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's supposed to be 2021, but they closed the Hard Rock down. I mean, I think like late last year or something. So it's it's time. We need a we need some fresh well, blood in, in CityWalk. Try not to use the word blood around the robot dog, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, and speaking of things I'm asking nice uh, about folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. Thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back soon.